And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Hardware is hard. That's probably the best quote that I have ever heard from anybody that has talked about hardware on the Startup Hustle podcast. Now, typically we talk about software, all different types of entrepreneurship. Obviously, software is what makes the hardware go. But once again, hardware is hard. We're going to get into that and how to disrupt an industry around hardware and lots of other stuff. Who knows what we'll talk about. So stick around. As a quick reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullsell.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We do a few things with hardware here and there, but it still has software involved. Nothing super physical. With me today, I have Mike Casper. Mike's the CEO of Azumo. If you want to learn more about what Azumo does, go to azumotech.com. There's a link in the show notes for you. Ah, just get right into it. Mike, welcome to Startup Hustle. Yeah, hey, Matt. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I'm glad to have you. And, uh, you know, I like to say no one no one tells that there are backstory better than the CEOs and founders themselves. So why don't you uh, give us a little bit of background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, quickly here, Zumo is a display technology company. Uh, as you mentioned, we are hardware technology that is disrupting a $130 billion global electronics industry. Um, and so it's taken us many years. Um, we started the business around 2008. And um, I have an engineering background myself, uh, partnered with uh, our CTO and other co-founder, who's he's the brains behind the tech, the PhD from MIT. And uh, you know, he was t- taking college level calculus in, uh, in I think fifth grade. So, um, yeah, we, we both worked at 3M. We were both engineers and, uh, took the leap of faith, uh, around 2008 together. So let's, let's dive right in. Why is hardware so hard? Man, where do, where do you start? It's, uh, I, I think one of the, the key pieces is it, is it just takes so much infrastructure, to, to actually get up and going. And I, while I, while I say that I'm, I'm super thrilled with all the advancements over the past probably decade with uh, 3d printing and some of these other technologies that have really enabled hardware to be less expensive and, and require less infrastructure than you used to, but still, I mean, you have to make physical stuff and that typically costs money, time. You've got to find the right partners and in, in the right, um, producers in order to, to bring it to scale and get into a cost structure that VCs and other investors would actually, you know, see the business model. So there's just a lot of things that have to line up to make physics work uh, beyond something that someone's already invented. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it is 12 years ago that I first got involved in, in the software side of the world. And, you know, I've seen that dramatically changed in the ability when it came to the ability to make instant changes and it wasn't always the case you know especially when it came to collaborating with other people and one of the things that 
uh, for those of you listening that I've picked up in nearly 700 episodes of the show at this point is when you have a hardware item, you know, changing the way that it's built or the specs or often what's going on inside it is really, really challenging. And I had my first experience with this with uh, Davion Ross, the founder and uh, uh, I believe COO of, uh, of Shop Tracker. And, you know, they have basketball technology and trying to get a little update into a chip that's hovering and it's suspended in the middle of a basketball is, is, is a challenge. So, you know, they had to build other hardware to improve and do anything to the existing hardware, which seems like a never ending uh, string of boats when it comes to that stuff. So, all right. So back to the LCD, obviously the LCD has been around for a while and you have things like, what is it? Moore's law that say that, you know, things will get better, faster and cheaper. Uh, is, is that still occurring? Is, I mean, cause the LCD seems like it's gotten pretty affordable and it's on just about everything. So, so I guess the question is, is, is that still going on? And what are you, you mentioned disruption. What are you guys doing to change the industry? That's, that's uh, making waves. Yeah. So LCD is, it's a pretty mature industry, as you pointed out. I mean, they've been around for 30, 40 years uh, and in the production of LCDs, you know, almost all the costs have been squeezed out of that. And in the process is, uh, is very, very efficient. <clears throat> what, what you're seeing is, and really what Azumo's mission is doing is creating LCD 2.0, as we're calling it. It's that next wave of LCD. It's been pretty stagnant. Uh, to your point, you know, it is hardware. You got there. These companies are investing billions of dollars in production infrastructure to make LCDs, and they obviously want to expense that out over time. Well, because of that, they haven't changed a whole lot. Uh, what an, a Zumo's technology is enabling is uh, it, it allows them to take that same production, switch out one or two materials at a pretty low cost and suddenly creates a display that's much more energy efficient. Uh, it's much more effective at reading and looking at it in all environments. And it's more eye safe as, as you stare at these screens more, uh, more and more each day, especially as we've all noticed here through COVID. And so Azumo's tech is really a, a advanced material that we developed uh, through some optical technology uh, that, that we cooked up in our lab you know, 12 years ago. And it's advancing this and enabling this LCD 2.0 to happen while leveraging all those billions of dollars that have already been spent on the LCD production infrastructure. So when you talk about this $130 billion display industry, and that's got to be kind of daunting as a startup to, you know, step up to the plate. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I, a lot of my analogies and comparisons are, are instant. And I'm thinking about a rookie stepping up to the home plate at, you know, in, in Yankee stadium and, you know, hitting against a Cy Young award winning pitcher um, and, you know, and an all-star everything out in the field. I mean, cause, cause like I said, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a whopper and trying to break into those things is some of those industries are, quite honestly, kind of set up to push people back out of them, not let people in. So what did that look like? Yeah, great point. And I think that's just another reason why hardware is hard too, right? Because a lot of big companies uh, are the, you know, 800 pound gorilla in the room that, that want to own and, and manage the whole process and the future roadmap. Um, and so for us, I think where we found success for that exact, you know, for that example, we found little areas where we could play single A ball. 
where we could, you know, kind of work our way into it, learn some things, get some feedback and, and dip our toe in the water without expending too much money and, and resources uh, so that we were ready to then step up to AAA. Um, and, and so that's, I think, another reason, too, why it's taken, it typically does take hardware companies a lot longer to get to that home run level, that, that major league ballpark level. Uh, it does take longer to make sure that you're successful at the smaller scale before you really invest heavily in that, that big production, that big scale, uh, you know, walking into Yankee Stadium, for example. So for a Zumo, you know, just to give you an example where we, where we ended up going down that path, um, <clears throat> we, we first picked sub-segments of the display industry. We didn't right, right away from the beginning go after smartphones, for example. We found very niche areas where the big companies weren't necessarily going after, but yet for us was still, you know, maybe it's only a $900 million market, Tam. But that for us is still a huge opportunity. The big guys weren't looking at it. And so we focused first there. These were smaller displays, black and white displays, industrial applications. And that's where we got our, our, our feet wet first and where we first launched into production. So just, and this is, this is a question that's just based on having absolutely no clue. How do you go about building an LCD? Like, where does that even start? <laughs> like, I mean, do, do you need a mold or do you like, do you go down to Lowe's and like buy the parts? Like, I mean, really like speak to me as if I'm like a five-year-old or maybe like a Labrador retriever or something. Sure. Sure. And I'll, maybe I'll start first with uh, just explaining at a high level how an LCD works. Because it is actually, I think, quite amazing, and a lot of people don't realize how LCDs work. If you've ever looked at your phone, for example, it's usually black. The screen is black until you turn it on, and that's when the, the screen starts glowing. Well, the way it glows is uh, the way an LCD works. The actual liquid crystal display, which is what LCD stands for, all they are are little, they're, they're like shutters that open and close. And they either block light from behind or they let that light pass through. And that's what, what allows you to see it glowing. And these things move really, really fast. So they're switching open and closed very, very fast, which is what creates the video that you see on your screen. Well, the, the glowing lights are actually LEDs behind the screen. And those are shining just a white light that either gets blocked or it, it uh, is shown through as I was describing earlier. And so the, the LCD has not changed that design for many, many years. And that's still, believe it or not, that light that's produced back there, it's called a backlight, these LEDs that are glowing, only allows 7% of the light through those pixels. So 93% of all of that light generated back there is just lost heat, wasted energy. Uh, the backlight is actually your the number one battery draining component in your, in your devices. So whether it's your laptop monitor, you're looking at your smartphone, it's actually those lights that are draining that battery. So we didn't go out to change the LCD and, and we're not, we don't actually make the LCD ourselves. We're leveraging the biggest LCD manufacturers in the world. Sharp uh, for what used to be Sony is now called Japan display. Um, they make a version of that LCD that they took the backlight out and they actually put our technology on the front of the LCD. And so it's a, it's called a reflective LCD. 
Um, and that's what's enabling all these energy savings benefits we provide, uh, full readability and outdoor sunlight, and much healthier viewing experience when you stare at the screen so long. So we're just one, just, one uh, component you, that goes you, into you, it. You just multiplied my LCD knowledge, and I was thinking about <laughs> I had none. So I can't even give it a multiple. It's like infinite. And, that, and uh, honestly, that was very well put because uh, I didn't really, I think the shutters and the backlights and all that, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So with your technology, this is about, I mean, in, in many cases, it's about usability, but also about the preservation of energy and batteries, which make things need to be charged less. And I mean, that's another, that's another thing that I've learned with some of the hardware folks we've had on the show is, you know, everything, I mean, everything's sucking on the battery and the, you know, the more battery, if you have to plug it in, I don't know, there's a lot of different stuff. I've been, been pretty fascinated with some of that stuff. I actually, uh, <clears throat> uh, just, we, we just made the switch to semi-electric with the new, with Jeep Wrangler's new electric hybrid. And oh, cool. I don't think I can go, I don't think I'm going to be able to go back to a, a, a non-electric car, uh, just for a number of different reasons you right know? it's honestly people are like how do you like your new jeep i'm like it's like the world's coolest golf cart um <laughs> it's what it fe- it's kind of what it feels like when you have the top off of it because it's completely quiet but yeah trying to trying to do something with that all right so you know when when it comes to startups and any new industry and you got to get funding and a lot of stuff so i, I mentioned at the uh, earlier in the show, and for those of you who don't know, the, the, the sponsor of today's show is FullScale, and that's my company. We help people build software. And uh, early, at the, you know, we have 220 employees and growing rapidly at this point. And at one point in the first year, I went out to seek funding and uh, just to see what was out there and was met by an overwhelming sea of no. Because <laughs> uh, mainly it's like every well, everyone wants to put their money in software, not the services that create software. Did you have that same kind of problem as a hardware maker? Is that is there equal roadblocks there? People like, oh, we only invest in software, SaaS, enterprise software. So like with us, we'd hear, well, we don't do service. We don't invest in service companies. Uh, I got to imagine there's some of that same obstacle course for hardware. What does that look like for hardware startups? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you, you tend to find these investors that have their their platforms that they want to invest in. And to your point, uh, you know, services versus certain segments of software, there's a lot of hard line, no, we don't do hardware. And I'd say, you know, finger in the wind, we're talking probably 80% of most North American investors that we've approached in the past just said flat out, we don't do hardware anymore. They maybe did back in the 80s, 90s, but into the 2000s and beyond, they, they just stopped doing that. Uh, that being said, Asia has a ton of hardware investors. So that's actually, mm-hmm. as we're growing, that's another area of, of increased interest. But back to your earlier question, yeah, where we found most of our early success finding hardware-focused investors, um, there are some that say, hey, we only want to invest in hardware. You know, they're few and far between, but when you find them, it's really exciting because they get into it. They understand the challenges. They understand the business model a lot better. Um, there's also, you know, when you're on the smaller scale, if you're into the seed stage or, or even series A stage, a lot of family offices that have maybe a business that grew up in a manufacturing or a production environment, maybe that's where they made their money. So they want to continue to invest in, in hardware or industrial type businesses. 
So they're, they're definitely out there. They're just harder to find. And I'd say the good thing is that when you do find them, they tend to be a lot more engaged in the, in the pitch. Yeah, I ran into, I'd say about the same thing, about four out of five people. And, you know, here we are at that point, we were a year old and it already had a hundred employees and we're profitable. Sure. And uh, I mean, that was, that's, uh, that, that's always an interesting thing. Like, Wait, you're profitable. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but, but it was definitely, it was definitely an uphill climb and, you know, very frustrating. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time talking to people about is anytime you have a new business, you have to figure out your path to revenue. Uh, what does that look like for a new hardware startup? Cause I, like, like I mentioned that piercing that veil has to be pretty intimidating in the beginning. Yeah, I think that is a tough one because you always have that balance with, with investors, you know, and to your point, whether it's software or hardware, right. They want to see that path to revenue. Um, and at some point there's a question of what does it cost to go buy customers essentially. And for hardware, as we talked about tooling up, you know, all those infrastructure pieces, those costs go up exponentially if you're just going out to buy customers early on. So um, for us, what we, what we had some early success in, was twofold, kind of a two twofold approach. One was going after NRE based revenues where it was still, you know, getting early customers involved. Uh, NRE for, for those that may not be familiar is non-reoccurring engineering. Uh, it's common in, in the hardware space. <laughs> I just realized I rattle it off like it's uh, you know, no big deal. I usually, but... I usually stop people for strange acronyms. I, you know, I it's so that we would have come back to that. But yes, all right. Yeah, no, good, mm -hmm. uh, good catch there. So yeah, non-reoccurring engineering fees. Those tend to be more you know lump sum payments that we get customers to pay us before we do a lot of work or before we go too deep in in the costs to produce whatever widget we're making for them. Now those those aren't full mass production units, as you can imagine at that point. But the customer has bought in enough; they they believe in the early prototypes that are shown and want to see that the next stage, one path closer to production, enables us to get some revenues and really shows investors that hey, these customers are committing real dollars here to take this one step further. Uh, and then once you get past those prototype stages. Then it's getting into, again, finding the right initial customer, that initial beachhead I was describing earlier. We didn't go after smartphones right out of the gate, uh, right? We were going after some smaller industrial displays and industrial and medical products uh, where they were more willing to pay more dollars early on to help cover those costs uh, and, and showcasing that path to revenue uh, for these investors was important. So there's been a lot of a lot of press recently. You know, I mentioned going and and uh, it was actually my wife's car that we bought, and we had been a single car family for uh, about a year. Just didn't really need it. School's starting back up, and all of a sudden there's a chip shortage, right. and that's affected cars, used cars, and I literally watched the price go up over a couple months of kind of peering in. I was like, man, all right. Uh, how how much of an effect has that had on the LCD industry and your business in particular? Yeah, huge implications to the LCDs as well because their LCDs are built off of uh, semiconductor equipment, so it does impact them. Uh, now, our product at Azumo doesn't use any of these chips internally, but as I was describing earlier, we make a material and a light that gets bonded to an LCD. So we have to have an LCD go alongside our product. 
And so where it's impacted us is lead times for our customers have just gone from what used to be maybe eight to 12 weeks, uh, 40 to you know 56 weeks in some instances. So huge operational road bumps we're having to, to meander around, um, you know, at least from the, the one positive through all of this is that it's given us more guidance on future production runs because our customers realize these lead times are so long now. They're getting orders into us a year or two in advance just to get their spot in line. And so that, again, kind of shows to the investors and, and helps us from an operational planning standpoint when shipments and, and what the rest of our supply chain lines up over the next year or two. Yeah, that's been a real interesting, uh, just everything. You know, I was reading yeah. an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day that, uh, you know, Ford was canceling, you know, 400,000 units just because they right. weren't going to have the parts for it. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's real. And, you know, here in, I'm in Kansas City and uh, I, they had, you know, they shut down the Ford factory for a little bit. And I mean, these are real things. This is, this affects, yeah. this affects the economy and in a lot of different ways and a lot of different businesses in a lot of different ways. All right. So before we move into the second half of the show, quick reminder that today's episode Art of Puzzle is brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Now with that, a lot of the, People listening may not know the majority of our employees are over in the Philippines. We've learned to work halfway around the world. Um, I have a feeling you have too, because uh, <laughs> so much of, of a lot of the electronics industry and a lot of that is uh, on the other side of the planet. It, it One, is that true? And two, what if you had to learn how to be do a little differently uh, if that is true? Yeah, no, good insight there. And, and short answer is yes. And, and we're continuing to invest more and more and, and, and have had to do so quickly with COVID, as you can imagine, because we haven't been able to travel there. So, uh, yeah, our team, we're, we're headquartered in Chicago, uh, where we have all of our material scientists, all of our engineers, uh, most of our, our staff. Uh, years ago, we, we did start uh, working with partners in Asia, uh, not only to you know, procure the raw materials, uh, but also the sales channel, uh, as you said, electronics is, you know, the value stream up and down, uh, up and down throughout Asia is, is there. And so sales and marketing partners, we were already engaged with and working closely with before COVID. Um, <clears throat> what we've had to do, and, and I guess from day one, knowing that intellectual property protection was going to be a very key part of our business, a key asset, we wanted to make sure that the core production step is done really, really close to us. And we're fortunate enough here in the Midwest and then why we chose Chicago, there's actually a lot of infrastructure around optical films, roll-to-roll processing, and a lot of that, those key industries are here in the Midwest. And so that critical step of our production, uh, we do have here stateside. The final assembly is over in, in Asia and in ultimately where it gets integrated with our partners. So we've been building up staff, COVID really accelerated that because where we would typically go fly over there, work with our suppliers, work with our customers face-to-face, -face, we couldn't do that anymore. And uh, we realized very, very quickly we needed a bigger staff there. And so we've gone and, and hired several uh, new key leadership uh, team members over there. We're bringing on more uh, customer support staff, uh, more supply chain support. It's been a challenge, but uh, we've been able to uh, to work through it. And, and the good thing was we already had a lot of these relationships established before COVID hit. 
Yeah, I haven't been able to. Our office is in Cebu City. It's the second biggest city in the Philippines. I haven't been able to. Uh, I haven't been over there since March, right, uh, twenty twenty. And and if you're interested, I almost got stuck there. Uh, for oh, those really? of you listening, and yeah, yeah, I was going to be there for. I usually go for roughly two weeks. I put a travel day on the end of fourteen days, so I'm gone for like sixteen days. It's a, a tremendously long trip to get there. I'm sure you've done it. You know, yep. talking anywhere from thirty to forty hours of travel, and uh, um, I've learned to appreciate the micro hotel they have in some <laughs> of those. Uh, that, you know, at first, the first time I walked by one, when I talk about a micro hotel, a lot of the uh, airports over there, you can literally, they have little hotel rooms that you can get in a, in, in the airport for like four hours. So you can like, oh, that's go great. take a shower take or take nap. a nap. And at first time I was like, this is dumb. And then the, by the time I was walking back by it on my way back, I was like checking in and, and happy to be in there. But yeah, yeah I ended up, um, I, I, you know, COVID kind of hit amidst all that. So I flew into a pandemic basically. And, um, you know, ended up staying a few extra days because you know, I woke up one day and I told my wife, I was like, I got to talk to my whole company today. And I can't tell these people I'm getting on a jet plane in two days and, and leaving when the problem was still felt like it was over there when it was right. getting ready to be global. But yeah, I ended up booking my return flight. I uh, got kind of lucky because the next day ended up being the cutoff for leaving. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, amidst all, well, amidst all that too, we, we started running out of podcast episodes because we're usually a couple weeks at the time we were a couple weeks ahead of time. So I sure. started recording what is, what is now found in the feed as the Corona diaries uh, and kind <laughs> of watching, well, watching that unfold and like, you know, kind of uh, sharing what I learned what I was feeling and, you know, just all of it. And uh, I yeah. went back and listened to those a few months ago and I was like, wow, you know, it's like just so much uncertainty. And, and, and that's, uh, that's, what's challenging. I think a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to international business, you know, our office is 13 hours ahead, you know, right, right now we're recording this and we're in the same time zone. It's a, it's 1130 AM at our present recording time, which it's the middle of the night over there. So yep. you, uh, anyone that's dealt with offshore overseas, any, any of that, any of that kind of business, uh, has certainly learned to either get up really early in the morning or sometimes stay up really late at night, which is kind of the same thing. So, right. um, you know, other, other interesting things too, that are just different cultural understanding. Now I had the uh, privilege of working for the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments, Roland. Uh, talk about hardware. Yeah. Um, the, the, the inventors of MIDI um, and, and a $5 billion a year enterprise for musical instruments, but uh, it's a Japanese company. And they put us through, when I first started that job, I went through about, a, oh, like an hour long class, probably on cultural understanding, just like Basically, it was like how to not piss off our Japanese counterparts. <laughs> right. And it was it was goofy things, too. Like when someone hands you a business card, hold it with both the hands and look at it and acknowledge what's don't just mm -hmm. take it and shove it in your pocket because that's rude. And just like, yep. just also the way that the way that certain things are handled um, and when when to speak up and when to not and, you know, different stuff, maybe when to hear the fire engine. <laughs> right. Is that what I hear back there? Yeah. So, yes. I was going to say in Japan, you don't hear those too often. In Chicago, we hear them all the time. Yeah, I bet. I bet. The, some of the things uh, were, yeah. So that's, and that's interesting because, you know, that, but that stuff's all really important because mm -hmm. if you want to work on a global scale, you, you can't just, 
you can't just walk around with your your big heavy boots stomping and kicking everything because people aren't going to want to work with you. So you it's right. it's your job to to be the chameleon and learn how to blend in and do business and work with other people. And, you know, there's certain things that I've learned that working internationally, that there's a sense of urgency to do. And sometimes there's not. Right. And uh, other just little goofy and sen- the things that you could qu- accidentally be insensitive about, like they have different holidays than we do. Right. You know, so you get, I mean, you got to respect that and work around it. And then also you have to be prepared because they don't celebrate 4th of July. They don't have Thanksgiving. Right. So they right. need stuff to do. Like yeah. you can't just take off that whole week. And, you know, like, so that's part of what we, we've kind of transferred some of that to our, our clients at, at full scale. Now I mentioned earlier, we, we are, we are predominantly providing uh, technological services for software companies because the difference. So with, uh, with hardware, you hear embedded software, meaning the software that's embedded into the actual physical device, which is what makes hard. One of the things that makes hardware so hard because you're trying to figure out how to connect, change, update, fix, reset, do any of that. And it really is a completely different world. Like it's, it's like a completely different type of developer. They typically use eh, not, not the same programming languages, but similar. And, you know, uh, where our office is at in Cebu, it's the home of Lexmark and Kiyosera mm. in the Philippines. So we've, you know, have, uh, had we run into a lot of embedded software uh, developers that are applying, but we have a, an extremely difficult time uh, bringing them on and putting them with clients because typically that's that's something that ends up like you want it in the same room, the same building. Sat. Um, so with your with your product and your technology working on so many different things, how do you figure out how to get that adoption or get people to even care or pay attention? You know, in software, I can give you a free trial. I can give you a freemium. I can do a lot of different stuff. Imagine that with what you do, especially when it's something different and you know, you're, you're probably sitting there going, Hey, this is going to save 30% of power. And sometimes they're like, yeah, uh, we don't care. <laughs> right. Or, or, or maybe it doesn't with adoption issue with, with your product and in an industry that's already hard to gain adoption, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. So yeah, to your point, and we actually, by the way, save about 90% of the energy. So it's a little bit easier sell because when there people you go. hear okay. that, thinking, oh, wow, my battery <laughs> sure. can last that much longer. But either way, it still makes it hard to integrate. And we learned but if that, that early If that's on. the problem you have, then you're going to listen. But if it's not, you might not care then. Like, Correct. That's like, yeah. eh, that's something else to do. Exactly. So you have to make it as seamless as possible for them to evaluate you as an alternative option. And, and we, we learned that pretty early. Uh, and the key piece, uh, for better or worse, we found the rest of the industry, the engineering support for most traditional LCDs uh, really, really sucked, to be honest. They, any, any display, if a customer was trying to evaluate an LCD, let's say it came from uh, you know, a company, Japan Display, and they were gonna evaluate this new LCD. Well, there's very little support for that engineer in the in the in the customers world from the LCD company to help them to help them get that firmware on there to help them maybe even just put up a custom image of what their product is you know the applications being used for and so it was a huge sticking point 
when we realized customers weren't evaluating our stuff from the early early days. So what we ended up doing is we we hired a couple uh, software focused people, brought them on the team, and we developed uh, developer kits to make it as easy as possible to plug and play. Uh, if a customer got this dev kit with a USB uh, direct connect to our, our platform, they could drag and drop images onto that LCD immediately. They could start playing with the brightness of the screen and, and see real time what the battery savings look like. And we found out we were the only ones in the industry doing this uh, to the point that these big LCD companies, Sharp being one of them, you know, huge conglomerate based out of Japan, uh, they were asking if we could start uh, selling, essentially providing those to their customers. And it really gave us a foot in the door to, to eventually become Sharp's preferred component supplier, which we are today. Uh, and so we sell those now on digikey.com, which is like the engineer's dream, the hardware engineer's dream distribution website. And it just provided a path to, uh, to enable them to evaluate our technology as seamlessly as possible. So, you know, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that having worked for Roland and Roland is a very interesting company because they, well, uh, you know, the, a lot of hardware manufacturers or they want to control the whole process. And so much of that is the support of legacy things, you know, like, and I didn't really understand it at first. It's been over a decade since I've worked for them. So, you know, the technology and things have, have really, really changed, but uh, you know, the way that it was explained to us is, hey, we've got this item that we made five, 10 years ago. And if we rely on other people to make the parts for it, if we have to go back and get them, they might not have them, which means and and so they they're looking for a 99.5% or greater uh, non-failure rate, meaning like once it, it exits the warranty period, it's it still lasts. Well, first off, 99 and a half percent during warranty and then beyond now typically electronics once they quote burn in like the, if they make it past the initial warranty they're probably going to last for quite a while i don't know how to explain that any better um is is what you do like it, how do you handle supporting that quote legacy product though because like what you built 10 years ago and what you're going to build in five years those are those are headed different directions you know one's truly forward thinking the other's like, Hey, we got to keep the shit running. Right. Uh, how do you go about handling that? I mean, cause I would think from a scalability standpoint, the more and more stuff you make, the more and more stuff you have to support, which means the more and more, I don't know, you got to keep up with. Yeah. I think there, there's good and bad with it. I mean, I think the, the key is uh, at least in the LCD space, you know, I, I can't uh, say this is true among all different hardware components, but the LCDs warranty is only 12 months. And so we match that with our product and we've gone through rigorous testing to make sure that we can support that. Uh, so when a product goes out, while the customer, you know, it may go into a device that may last five years, seven years in some industrial applications, uh, we, we and the LCD companies uh, warranty it only for 12 months of it. The, the good thing on that, the flip side of that is uh, once we're in and because customers don't want to change their designs. Once we're in that product, they're not going to take us out for many, many years. And so it's almost a guaranteed set of shipments and a guaranteed revenue stream that you can then build on year after year by adding more products, more customers. So 
yes, we do have to support the legacy and, and maintain the, the inventory levels and the warranties. But on the flip side, it's almost a guaranteed revenue stream uh, for the future as well. Yeah, I was recently watching. Have you watched the History Channels? Uh, you know, they have the whoever that made America. They have the oh, food sure. that made America, the machines. And recently they had the Titans. And that, and one of the, the things that I thought was pretty fascinating in there was Ford. You know, so Ford had been – I didn't realize that Ford was basically – that one of one of, if not the original airplane manufacturer on a large scale, and then they quit making them when the depression hit. Uh, World War II comes around, and the government comes back and says, "Hey, we need you to make airplanes again." Henry Ford reluctantly does it, but they get into the factory, and every single day, the army or the armed forces wanted a different change. Oh, now, one sure. of the things that made that made Ford able to do what they do was they got really, really clever at repurposing things in new builds like hey this screw that we made 20 years ago can go here because they had to make a new mold for everything right. so you know here we are under all this pressure to kind of get get become a military superpower and they're making changes every day and then at one point it was about six months into it and they went to update uh f franklin delano roosevelt and they said well they've made two he says, two planes? He said, no, they've made two parts because they kept <laughs> right. making changes Too every day changes. and stuff like that. So, well, that, and that's the thing is I would imagine that would that would be something that's got to be a hassle to keep up with. And, you know, so that's that's kind of my last question before we uh, move to our outro here is how do you keep up with all the changes and all the specs and all the different things? Is that something that that larger manufacturers provide you and say, tell us how you're going to do it? Or do you have to constantly be chasing everything. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a very diligent process. And I think, uh, you know, fortunately, for a lot of hardware based engineers, they're used to it. So it's kind of embedded into to their personal work style. And, you know, but we've had to go out and invest in, you know, engineering change notice or ECN software platforms to make sure that we're keeping all of our parts uh, documented, and any changes we're making are, are properly getting communicated to our customer. Um, I think one one thing we've also learned is that over the years that we've grown, being able to make these changes internally, be it through new equipment, a prototyping lab, you know, finding ways to make our own small, um, small tools without having to spend a lot of money on a hard tool, that has enabled us to cost effectively and very quickly create these changes internally before we spend a ton of money uh, externally on that. So. Uh, you know, it is a challenge, but it's something we, we stay on top of. And <clears throat> again, the, the positive side of it is, is even though there's a lot of changes to get to that endpoint, because of that reason, when they when the customer does finalize that design, it's going to be pretty hard to unseat you once you're in that product. Um, so it helps keep long customers for the future. It's a lot cheaper to keep the ones you have than to find new ones. I think <laughs> yes. that's that's one of the one of the things that that I you know, recently expressed in the Startup Hustle chat group on Facebook. If you want to come join that, just type in Startup Hustle on Facebook, and I'm sure it'll drop down. With me today, once again, I had Mike Casper. Mike's the CEO of Azumo. Go to azumotech.com. They're out of Chicago, Illinois. Another one of our great companies here in the Midwest. Uh, you know. I, I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle. I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of the show. If you're a regular listener, you know that Tuesdays are on lock with Andrew Morgans from Marknology, Amazon Brand Acceleration and E-Commerce. Join Innovate Her founder, 
Lauren Conaway on Thursdays. And I am now free to speak about this. I am giving up my Friday spots, people. We are going to start having guest hosts on Fridays that are going to have a series of, well, they're all going to be series. They're going to be varied lengths, but we're bringing in subject matter experts, our very first series, which now that I see the publication of this show will actually be underway. So you can join Heather Steppe of the Kansas City Casey Hempco. And they are going, she is going to be talking with guests about the cannabis business. And uh, shortly after that, Melissa Vincent from Pipeline Entrepreneurs will take over Fridays. If you're interested in taking over a Friday spot on Startup Hustle, reach out, go to startuphustle.xyz. You can fill out a form and let us know. So as mentioned, the Founders Freestyle, we try to kind of sum up the, the, today's episode and maybe give advice to future founders that might want to follow in your footsteps. I'm never starting a hardware company. I know that much. I think I, I, think I knew that after I, uh, after I left my tenure at Roland. Uh, too, too, much, too much complication, too many things, too many logistics. But overall, I mean, uh, two, two quick questions on the way out is... Uh, you know, well, I'd like to hear some, it, it, did you leave anything out that you'd like to say uh, to wrap up today's show? And what's the best advice you can give for future founders in the hardware space? Yeah, I'll just add one other piece that's really exciting for us is, uh, for Zumo actually, is our, our, our technology is starting to also get integrated into automobiles. So, you know, this energy savings that I mentioned earlier on uh, on our display products can also be applied to electric vehicles. You know, maybe your next Jeep, uh, your souped-up golf cart, as you called it, will we'll have some more stuff. Uh, but we can uh, we can help save energy there and, and, and incorporate lighting into any surface inside the vehicle. So <clears throat> that's an exciting growth area for us, and I think another piece that hardware technology companies can uh, can leverage to their benefit because because once you get that infrastructure built up to produce your products for for one segment. Pivoting that to another segment is is uh, sometimes a lot easier, uh, and it already gives you a head start for a, for a competitor to come in. Uh, I'd say, in terms of you know any other advice, I'd, I'd leave from the folks that are venturing out into the hardware space. You know, it's really around three, probably three key pieces of advice. I'd say, and one is is still get something out there early. I know in software, a lot of the MVP or minimum viable product is always talked about. You can still do that in hardware with all the 3d printing technologies and in, in early prototypes, customers know that that's not the final production version, but getting something out quick and, and in front of them helps mold that next decision before you spend too much money in production. Uh, number two, find those right partners. You're going to need suppliers. You're going to need logistics people. You're going to need all the middlemen along the way. Uh, and, and just finding those right partners early and, and really understanding what is it going to take to go from raw material all the way to your end customer and, and who's going to be important in that, in that chain. Uh, and then three, I think location does matter where, where software can, you can, you know, you can be passing information digitally anywhere around the world, physically building a product in, in the location of the suppliers, the location of your customers, all impacts shipping costs. It impacts the type of people you're hiring. Um, so just think about geographics. You know where where your where your customers are, where you need to be, and where your uh, production partners are going to be, and, and try to build the company around there, or at least have key people in those same 
physical locations because, you know, as you pointed out, these uh, 30-hour flights, they start wearing on you after a while too. And, and, and having an efficient response when, when an issue pops up, getting somebody there local is, is really important. Yeah, there's a lot to be said from uh, being somewhere near your office. And it's only one time in over three years of business that we've had to hop on a plane and get moving. Um, still by choice, it wasn't super crazy. All right, so a couple of takeaways. First off, I learned how an LCD works. Um, that I didn't understand that. And I think you did a great job of explaining that. Like I said, like, please explain it like I'm five years old. Uh, that It really made a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, one of the things that kept popping in my head is, you know, the, a lot of the changes, you know, you mentioned getting into cars, saving power, doing a lot of this stuff. You know, California just recently sent out a notification asking people to chill out on charging their electric vehicles. And there's so many changes that are coming and the power, the power preservation and conservation side of things it is real. Um, you know, my wife had mentioned something. She's like, yeah, but it doesn't cost anything to drive this. And I was like, yeah, it does. It's like, it's still power, you know, it still mm -hmm. comes from the electricity. It might, it might be cheaper. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of that is changing. We actually had a, a company called electrify that was, uh, uh, here in Kansas city. They're actually from Silicon Valley, but they were, uh, out in Kansas city doing our launch KC accelerator. And we got to know them actually went and paid a visit and recorded a show at their uh, shop in, in San Francisco. And, uh, they're literally building technology that helps the power grid manage all of the incoming requests, basically. Because, wow. like I said, it's it's a big strain, and a lot of that's getting ready to change. So, uh, you know, with with that, uh, I think if I had to give advice was was parlaying off yours, which is like that infrastructure matters, both where you're working and your own infrastructure. Like if the majority of, so you look at a company like Fullscale, and once again, that was the sponsor of today's episode, go to fullscale.io if you want help with your software. But, you know, we have half a dozen employees in Kansas City and over 200, because that's where our business is, most of it. That's where right. a lot of that action occurs. But at the same time, we service 95% of our clients are here in the US. So we got to you know, kind of had this dichotomy. It's it's like having two different companies and tech and legally it is two different companies that exist in one place. And with that, that means we've got two sets of everything. You know, we're a corporation in the Philippines, we're we're a, we're an LLC in the United States. And and that doubles what you're trying to do. And I think another thing too, when it comes to hardware is that that life cycle of that sale, especially that initial one, can be a little bit brutal. And I, I, you know, I've gotten to know Davion pretty well from shot tracker and just hearing the stories and, you know, he has like magic Johnson was an investor, David Stern, like he had some real high powered people that can pick up the phone and make stuff happen. And they were still having a hard time with it because right. getting adoption on new stuff or something different uh, often requires, well, in some cases, like waiting for a collective bargaining agreement to expire <laughs> right. and just different things, you know, that you might not think about. So I think you have a whole level of, of approach pattern that is different. Uh, it's at the same time, people have been making products and selling products since things have been sold. So, you know, it's not like it's not like a new mystery that needs to be solved, but the approach to doing it is on lockdown, like as we mentioned from a lot of people. So know what you're getting yourself into. 
make sure that you are either adequately crazy enough to get into <laughs> it or, or adequately resourced uh, and maybe both. So, you know, that, those are some of my takeaways and maybe some of the advice that, that, that I can come up with. You, any, any other comments on the way out here? No, I think uh, the only other piece is, uh, you know, yeah, for our points earlier, know, know that your screen's battery, the reason it dies so fast is because of the lights. So one tip, <laughs> if you ever want your laptop to last longer or your smartphone to last longer, just turn the brightness of the screen down or, or ask for a Zumo's tech in it next time. I've done that. My kids have uh, put uh, every battery uh, that we have possible in this home uh, 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 on maximum strain from Pokemon Go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this last weekend was just Pokefest. So it was rough around here, man. It was rough. <laughs> and, and God forbid we don't ke- get that rare Pokemon. So yeah, well, anyway, enough of that. I'll see you down the road, Mike. Thanks, man. Great talking with you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.